0: Financial advisor Justin
1: Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. It is Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. It, it, we are done with the second trading day of the new year, but it is the first show of the year to feature our friend Luke Guerrero. Thanks for being back with us, Luke.
2: Thanks for having me in 2024.
1: Yeah, exciting times. And as usual, We are here to help you, our listeners, take that next step in your financial journey. And we do that by answering your finance and investment questions and bringing you topics and data that we think are important for you to to consider when making your investment decisions. And... The overarching goal will be to give you the tools, not just one piece of data, not just perspective on one company or one sector, but really the tools for you to make good decisions with your money consistently throughout your life. And uh, we're, we're going to do that one step at a time, one show at a time, one hour at a time. So we're going to run down some show topics as well as the market performance for today. But right after we answer our first caller question now.
0: Hey, Steve
3: Justin, thanks for uh, taking my call. I'm wanting to hear what you all have to say about ZIM, Z-I-M, Integrated Shipping Services. Just
1: wanted to hear your opinion on the uh, stock. All right, this is Zimmer Holders, ZIM, Integrated Shipping Services, Z-I-M is the symbol. I remember getting calls on this in May of last year. And it just peaked and it was rallying from a low of 51 after it recently peaked around 86. And it was moving up towards 70. Uh, and it looked cheap based on 2022 earnings of $38 per share. You're talking about a multiple of two. The problem was that it was pretty clear that uh, the forward-looking projections for earnings were pretty bad. And you saw last quarter, Luke, they lost $18.90 per share. So this is one of those classic examples of just looking at the latest earnings numbers and, 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 a, and a standard P ratio didn't tell the whole story. And clearly you have to look back in the history of this name and it, it never really had good profitability. Now, it is rallying now, but to me, I don't see much. I don't see any strong fundamentals behind this. It looks more like a short covering rally to me. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, that could be the case. I mean, there's 24.22% short interest, but mm-hmm. it, I just don't like these companies that are making no money. Their their debt is four times what their market cap is right now. Looks to me like it's it's cheap, but it's it could be a lot cheaper pretty soon.
1: Yeah, I, I see this as, from a technical perspective, it looks fine. It, it just started to rally, broke above the 100-day moving average just uh, about a week or so ago. It's consolidating, and it's on pretty good volume. But uh, to me, this is just a flash in the pan. If you want to uh, if you want to play it as a trade, fine. But you're going to have to have a, a tight out. You have to have a high risk tolerance level. Uh, but the history of this business says 2021 and 2022 were simply anomalies. And historically, they don't make much money. And now they're losing a ton of money. The last three quarters, each and every quarter, they've lost money. So only as a trade, maybe, but... Not as an investment. Now we have a lot of ground to cover. We have 40 minutes with you and we have a lot to talk about. And our main focus point is set up by this headline There are four new rules for investors in 2024. And these strategists lay out uh, their takeaways. I personally agree with some of them and others not so much. So we're going to look at what they what they're saying, see what makes sense. And we're gonna go over the 2024 economic outlook, whether the recent bond market rally can continue, and whether taking on interest rate risk right now makes sense. So we're also going to touch on the Fed minutes. They came out today and is looking back at what the Fed was thinking during the latest Fed meeting in what was that mid mid mid-December? In and December. obviously that's going to move markets. There's also a big trend in companies issuing convertible debt, and that's going to that's that's a a lot of companies that typically don't issue convertible debt are now doing that because of higher rates. So we're going to talk about why that is, and then lastly, if we have time, we're going to touch on auto sales. Good year in 2023, will they repeat that in 2024? So that's what's on the docket for us, as well as some voice bank questions. One is about Roth IRAs and VEGI, the iShares MSCI Agriculture ETF. So that's what we're looking at on today's show. But let's take a look at the market today. Luke, we had a big sell-off yesterday led by semiconductors uh, and a a lot of the MAG7 stocks that led the market last year. And today we had another negative day overall, more intense on the small cap side. uh, But you had some big movers down Tesla down 4%. SoFi Technologies down 13%. uh, You had Palantir down 3%. So some certainly some big losers as we go through our second trading day of the year. What did you see?
2: Yeah, I mean, overall, I think the theme of stretch positioning and overbought conditions that's been the case over the past several weeks kind of played out here. You had a rally going into the end of the year. A lot of people probably at a gain or maybe a break even not wanting to sell for tax purposes. And you're seeing a general shifting and rotation out of those names that led that rally. I think a lot of people are saying that 2024, if it is a positive year, is going to be a year of of broadening of the rally that we saw in 2023. But that really starts with this rotation that we're seeing out of the names that were the big winners. Uh, You know, there were some big... economic reports today, the Jolts job summary, ISM manufacturing. I know the Jolts job report came in slightly lower than expectations, but there really hasn't been anything to shift, shift the narrative. And certainly the Fed meeting minutes are confirming that we will see some cuts this year, albeit we don't exactly know when. So not, not many changes in the narrative, just a general shifting of positioning.
1: Yeah, that overbought nature that happened pretty quick. And when I say pretty quick, it's, you know, when the Fed pivoted, the Fed paused, shall we say, and the market rallied pretty strong in a pretty strong manner from late October pretty much into the beginning of December. And then I think the market kind of levitated in December because of Santa Claus rally, as well as, like you said, a lot of people not wanting to take those gains into year end. Now there's a relief. I can take those gains. I don't have to pay my taxes until, you know, sometime in 2025. And that precipitated that that, that sell-off. So uh, we'll see how far that goes. They usually say how January goes. That's how the rest of the year goes. Uh, but we're only two days in. So we'll see uh, as we get into the back half of January in, past the option X. That will be important as well because of how important options are uh, in, in market flows these days. Uh, and so a very interesting start to the year. And you continue to see the growth side of the market struggle. Now... As we go to break, let me remind you to check out our new Talk Classroom series. It is, our latest episode is up on our YouTube channel. It is free and it's titled How to Prioritize Your Savings. We talk about the 40-30-2010 rule, as well as how to focus on keeping your habits in check for the new year. Luke and I break down these topics and more in a short six-minute video. Just search the Talk Classroom over on YouTube. Now the phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART.
4: Every investor is working to build a secure financial future.
2: Would this be
3: an opportune time to get into annuities?
4: Everyone's situation is different.
3: Get your thoughts on
4: CRM
3: Salesforce.
4: And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. Get your take on Chewy ticker
1: symbol L E
4: C O. Just
3: wanted to get your opinion on. JP Morgan.
4: Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein.
1: You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business.
4: Steve Peasley.
1: It's a very well run company.
4: And now Luke Guerrero.
2: EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are
4: ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique, and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. 24-7, rain or shine, Talk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Here's a reminder about the KPP Premium Newsletter, distributed to each subscriber's inbox every Friday. The newsletter provides a roundup summary of the week that was, offers a look ahead, and even puts forth some interesting stock ideas. And you can subscribe to the KPP Premium Newsletter anytime at investtalk.com. Have you got a question for Justin? He's here, and the lines are open. 888-99-CHART.
1: Let's go talk to Jordan. He is just south of me in San Clemente, California, looking at Sprouts Farmers Market. Do you own it, Jordan, and looking to buy it? Yeah.
2: I'm just uh, wondering if
1: it's a fire uh, a hole. Well, this is a one of our, our one of the holdings within our portfolios for clients that we've held for an extended period of time. Uh, it's now trading at $47.86 dollars 86 We started buying it right or, you know 2020 time frame and it, it right around in the high teens, low 20s. And so it's been a big winner for us. So we really like it. And one of the big reasons why we liked this is because of the secular dynamics within the grocery market. And for everyone out there, this is a here in Southern California. They're I wouldn't say they're huge, but they are our, pres, our presence and they're certainly growing. And they operate 386 stores in 23 states, like I said, mainly in the western part of the United States. About a $4.8 billion market cap. Um, so we were investing it back when it was, you know, one or two billion. Um, minimal debt, no dividend, but you know, they use their cash flow to to kind of grow that store count. Revenue growth last quarter up eight percent year over year. Uh, and what we see is more and more people are focused on their health, buying organic groceries, and that's what Sprouts kind of specializes in, kind of fresh, organic, natural uh groceries. And so I saw that um, also people are working from home, so they tend to eat out less. Uh, the cost to eat out is certainly a lot higher. That spread between eating out and eating at home is a lot higher than it used to be as well. Um, so that benefits, all those factors benefit um, Sprouts. So obviously we like the company. Good profitability, good balance sheet, good growth, etc. Now, near term, it's a bit overbought today you had a bit of a pullback so i wouldn't be in a huge rush to be buying we're not buying it you know rushing to get in for new clients to come aboard with us um but a pullback back to the 100 day moving average in the low 40s right now it's about 47.86 86 of the close today um that would be good support that i would say you you should pick it up um so we like the name i like what you're looking at but a bit overbought and probably needs a, a bit of a pullback for you to get a good buying opportunity make sense jordan uh, would you take
2: profits
1: would I take profits? Uh, I mean, if you want to rebalance a little bit, maybe, but you know, it's not overvalued, so you know, I wouldn't be too aggressive.
3: Great, thank you.
1: Thanks for the call. Now let's squeeze in one more Invest Talk color question here before the break at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
3: Hey, can I have your opinion on buying this ETF for a long term investment? ticker symbol is V E G I. Thank you so much.
1: All right, V-E-G-I is the iShares MSCI Agriculture Producers ETF. Luke, a 39 basis point expense ratio. Uh, let's see what the portfolio consists of. Uh, let's see how many names there are. Mine's taking a second to, to pull up. What are you seeing on your end?
2: Well, I'm seeing it's around 60% large caps, 27% mid caps, and then about 8% small caps. There's 148 total holdings, and the top 10% represents about 60% of that Um, overall. Given that it's probably tilting a little bit more towards small caps and mid caps that I'd expect, that's probably why there's a little bit more of an expense ratio. iShares Mm -hmm. products tend to have low expense ratios. Another interesting part of it to me is that their revenue exposure is only 38% U.S. So uh, in terms of where their revenue is coming from of these companies, it's pretty well diversified across regions.
1: Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, based on what you just said, my the biggest, I want to say red flag, or the, the most interesting note you had there was the concentration. The, the top 10 holdings are 60% of the portfolio, and the top holding is DEER, 22% of the portfolio. That's, that's a lot. You have to really like DEER to make it basically a quarter of uh, this fund. And if you look at its sector breakdown, it's basically a third, third, third between basic materials, industrials, and consumer defensive. And so you also have to like those, I like two out of those three. I'll say that, um, the industrials and the basic materials. Um, so it's okay. You know, some of the names I like, some of the names I don't. You know, my biggest worry, though, is just looking at a chart. This is in a downtrend. So while I like some of the names here, obviously the trend within the ag space is down. Uh, and until that improves... I wouldn't be uh, excited to, to jump into this name. Um, so I would be picking ones within this that have uh, better trends than the overall ETF. Now we're heading into a break, but we're happy to play your recorded voice bank questions, but we love taking your live calls most of all. And our number never changes and it never closes. It's in Best Talk at 888.99 Chart.
4: This is Invest Talk, and we're glad you're with us today for one hour of financial news and perspective. And your decision making process can benefit from this practical and unbiased advice, especially if you consult with Steve or Justin. Step up now with your questions. Call 888 99Chart. Let's
1: go to James in New York looking at FNV Franco, Nevada.
2: Uh, Yes, I've been um,
1: sort of dollar cost averaging into that position, and I was wondering if it might still be at practical levels for me to do so, if I wanted exposure in the space. Well, do you understand what's going on with Franco-Nevada right now?
2: I I have, yes.
1: Okay, so you're familiar with kind of the the controversy down in uh, Central America, in Panama, and, you know, that could go either way. Usually these things are resolved and these sell-offs tend to be good buying opportunities because, you know, in that part of the world, let's just say grease enough palms and, and, and things happen uh, the way that these companies uh, tend to want them to go. And ultimately, I think they get back on, on track. And I do think this is a good buying opportunity. And the technicals have started to reverse. You had a reversal back on 13th of December, and it's been consolidating ever since. So if you're looking for entry into one of the best, I don't want to say a miner. This is actually a gold and precious metal streamer, which is different than a miner. They basically invest in uh, various mines throughout the world. And for everyone else out there, they have a a couple of mines in Panama that are having some uh, issues with the local government. Let's just say that and getting clearance and, and all that. So uh, once that is cleared up, I expect them to to bounce back. So uh, the technicals are lining up, and this is, uh, I think, a, a good buying opportunity. Thanks for the call. So let's talk a little bit about our main focus point today, and that is what rules or lessons can be taken from 2023. We know that stocks and bonds had pretty good year after a rough 2022, equities more broadly were up roughly about 25 percent. The bond market in general, after a big dip through the summer, rallied near the end of the year and ended positive. Uh, and and a lot of people are going into this year and saying a few things. A lot of analysts are saying a few things. And the first one that that people are saying, Luke, is that bonds are back. That you no longer have to worry about inflation and that you should move away from cash and cash-like instruments like short, very, very short-term bonds or, or money market accounts or high-yield savings accounts and, and extend your duration. Now, that's the one that I would say I wouldn't jump too quickly on that shift. Now, some duration is fine, but you know, a lot of duration – I I think could burn you once again if inflation does stay relatively sticky. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think even if you look at the Fed meetings, uh, the Fed meeting minutes recently, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, about Mm -hmm. the effect of the interest rate cuts, about kind of dynamics more, or sorry, interest rate hike, uh, hiking path, as well as dynamics more broadly uh, on the global scale. There's a lot of uncertainty in the Middle East. Uh, There's a lot of things that can bring about some tension that can crunch supply chains again and reignite inflation. So I think maybe uh, it's a little too early to say what's going to happen with the bond market. Mm-hmm. And maybe you don't want to jump the gun and, and push out on that curve uh, too much because I think the risks are still there that inflation may rear its ugly head again. Is I, do I think that's the base case? Probably not. But there's still a lot of risk out there.
1: Yeah, risk of, of inflation to the upside in my mind more than to the downside. Exactly. And so while some duration I think is fine, you know, going beyond three months that a lot of people are in these short-term T-bills and things like that, I think is good. You know, maybe going out three, four years, that's probably fine through this next kind of uh, down cycle in the in the economy. Um, but one thing to take from what the Fed has been saying is that their tools in many instances in this new world of uh, deglobalization or regionalization of supply chains, et cetera, and heightened geopolitical risk is that their tools have no impact on that, right? Their tools are very limited, raising interest rates, doing QT, some lending facilities, et cetera. And that's mainly on the demand side, but the supply side is a whole nother ball game that they really don't have uh, much to do with. And so uh, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say, oh yeah, interest rates are coming down. Now you taking a bunch of duration risk again is, is, is uh, the right thing to do. I still think you have to limit to that to some degree. Now, the next lesson is cash isn't king. And that's what's my biggest takeaway from last year is that so many people were huddled into those cash-like instruments because they were getting that 5% once again on their, their high-yield money market accounts and T-bills, et cetera. And guess what? Equities, almost all parts of the equity markets did better than, than, than T-bills and, and cash. And so in an inflationary environment, no, cash isn't king, even though it might seem like 5% is nice, a nice, juicy yield. Does that make
2: sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think a lot of people were, I, I think we have to take a step back and realize probably what this article would have said at the beginning of 2023. Which yeah. is, it's the year of the recession. Equities aren't yeah. going to do well. And so with anything, take everything that's being said about projections with a grain of salt. But I think generally speaking, yes, having cash on the sidelines is, is not going to be a good idea because equities are going to outperform cash.
1: Yeah, most likely. All right, well, we're heading into our mid-hour break. So we're halfway through the show. That means that time for you to call is now. So we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture?
4: Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and unbiased guidance. You've come to the right place. InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART.
2: Hey guys, love the show. This is Corey in North Carolina. I had a question
4: about my IRA. I have a, a traditional IRA, and I started out with about 2,000 minutes since been listening to the podcast and it's grown just based on some penny stocks I've invested in to a little over twelve thousand now in just a couple months. I'm thirty two years old and I'm I'm wondering if I should convert it to a Roth IRA just based on, you know, paying the taxes up front now and if I continue to grow it more and more using that Roth advantage of, you know, getting the tax breaks 59 and a half or however old it is you have to be to draw from the IRA. Look forward to hearing the answer and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks, guys.
1: Well, congratulations on growing that so robustly, shall we say, over that time period. Hopefully, we helped a little bit. Uh, now, doing a Roth conversion... When you have low income is typically a good idea. So I'm not sure of your total income and what your tax rate is, but that's all you have to think about. Is that conversion at, at this tax rate going to be at a rate that is lower than what you expect it to be in the future? Um, so if you are a relatively low earner in a low tax uh, bracket, then this would be a good time to do that conversion. Thanks for the call. Now, Luke, the Fed Minutes came out today. It was highly anticipated to get a little more color on what the path of policy will be going forward. And to me, the most interesting takeaway was their discussion of winding down QT, meaning stop shrinking their balance sheet. I don't remember that being something they, they talked a lot about at the at the actual meeting. Um, but overall, the market reacted relatively positively, um, but it didn't really move the markets too much. What was your takeaway? Yeah, I thought it was
2: interesting that they had a broad discussion on uh, the potential that they were over-restrictive, overly restrictive. I think that kind of hints that, uh, although I, I still don't see them uh, cutting six times like some people are saying they will, which just seems absurd to me, uh, short of mm-hmm. some sort of systemic shock. Um, that they probably will start to look at cutting sooner rather than later. Does that mean March? I don't know, but it could certainly mean, mean you know, early Q2. Uh, that's, that's an interesting point, point that I think came out of these meeting minutes. And mostly that, you know, I think although cuts will happen this year, short of anything else happening that would kind of show that inflation is coming back up, um, there's still no definite time frame. And so I think overall the market may have jumped the gun a little bit in terms of the drastic fall in yields after the last meeting.
1: Yeah, I think that's another reason why markets have pulled back the the first couple days of this year. Uh, But my biggest takeaway from this is something they did speak a little bit about during the Fed meeting, and that's that they're having a little bit tighter uh, viewpoint of where inflation is, meaning they're not just looking at the one year rate, they're looking at the six-month inflation reading, which is actually below the Fed's 2% target for the f- first time since June of uh, and, and and that precipitated them for the first time since June of 2022, saying that they don't see inflation as unacceptably high. That's and so that was a big shift in in, in their um in their verbiage uh and their their viewpoint. And I, I actually think this is the the best news coming out of the Fed in a long time, that there's not so tied to these year-over-year numbers because markets and economies, they move pretty fast these days. Uh, and a six-month view of what's happening in the economy is probably better than the one-year view, especially considering how anomalous the last three, four years have been uh, in the economy overall. And they think the overall risk of renewed inflation has diminished and a few of them saw a different problem really developing. And that's that there is a potential trade-off between their dual inflation mandates, which is controlling inflation and maintaining high rates of employment. So they're basically saying that they're seeing the labor market weaken pretty substantially. Um, And if that does, that could kind of snowball on itself. Now, we'll get some new jobs data on Friday, uh, and that will certainly color how they are thinking about uh, policy going into this next Fed meeting, which comes up at the end of this month, the 30th and the 31st of uh, of January. So, like you said, they're not signaling when. Uh, they'll certainly be continue to be data-dependent. But it was most interesting for me, anyway, that QT looks to be maybe ending at some point this year. And I think it'll be interesting to see which one do they, sh- do they change first? Do you think that they cut rates first or do they stop QT first? What do you think?
2: I think it's probably more likely that they start to cut rates first. Um, I think that that's probably why the market, uh, although they jumped the gun a little bit, uh, assumed that there would be so many uh, cuts earlier in the year. I think that's probably... I think given that they are too, too worried about being too restrictive in terms of, in terms of credit within the system and mm-hmm. capital within the system, I think the easiest way they can not be restrictive is to start to cut rates uh,
1: sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think it's going to actually depend on what problems arise. So if there are more economic problems where inflation, or sorry, excuse me, uh, when it were unemployment rates rising, you're having uh, overly weak jobs numbers. I think that that would precipitate a rate cut. Now, if you get other problems kind of underlying within the system, for example, if the Treasury market becomes dysfunctional again due to the massive amount of issuance and they're planning with the Treasury not kind of working out as they hope, you know, winding down QT and stopping more treasuries from entering the the, the general market, I think that will be uh, their next step. So it'll be very interesting to see what problems arise because there's one thing we can guarantee this year. There will be problems. It's just a matter of how large will they be and how well will policymakers deal with them and kind of quell them like they did during the, uh, the banking crisis in the spring of last year. Now, the more caller questions we fit into the podcast, the better your learning experience will be. So let's play another question from the Avestoc Voice Bank at 888 chart.
3: Hi, Steve and Justin, longtime listener here from Minnesota. I have a question for you, gentlemen. Been following a stock last year, had a huge run up. AFRM, I believe, is the ticker symbol, a firm. Seems like a great business. Still um, has a long way to run. I believe it uh, follows up with payments and stuff for companies. I notice it's had a pullback here, of course, the beginning of the year with a lot of people, I don't know if they're doing profit taking or what, but we've had some pullback. And I'm just wondering if this might be a good place to step in and buy some of it. And I look forward to hopefully having a run up here in 24. Just wondering what your thoughts are about doing something like this or what you think about this stock in particular. Thank you very much for your thoughts. Look forward to hearing them on the show. Happy New Year to everyone.
1: Thank you for the kind words. Happy New Year to you as well. Now, Affirm Holdings, this is your, would you say the leading? I believe it's the, the buy now, pay later. Is that correct, if I remember correctly? Yeah,
2: it is buy yep. now, pay later, and I think it is the leader in buy now, pay later.
1: Mm-hmm. And the caller seemed to think that they had a great business. Would you agree with that?
2: I think it's an easy business to lend somebody money and and hope they pay the interest later. And I think that works really well uh, when times are good and not at all when times are poor.
1: And that's my biggest worry here is the fact that they, despite unemployment rate being sub 4%, And they being the leader within the space and their growth being good, their free cash flow remains negative. Their return on equity remains deeply negative. Their operating margins remain deeply negative. So to me, this rally is a complete farce. And I actually see this as a pretty good short in my mind. Uh, it, It rallied into resistance here in around $50 per share. And the last day of 2023 and the first two days of 2024 have not been kind to it. It's pulled back from about $41 and change. Now we're closing at forty-three forty-nine today. So down uh, nearly 20% in just two days or three days, excuse me. Um, so I don't know, Luke, would you short it here? Uh, well, it's short interest is
2: 18%, so uh, close to 19%. So maybe... Maybe if enough people think that this is a good pullback, then they could force a short squeeze. I don't see that happening. I mean, even from a valuation perspective, it's still valued from a price-to-book to ratio basis uh, you know, more than it's a five-year average. So even if you were considering getting into it now, it's still overvalued, even if you believed that this company was worthwhile, which I certainly don't, because the business model is not one that works for longe- longevity through multiple cycles.
1: Yeah, and if I were to list all the companies in the market to buy right now this would probably be in the bottom 10 15 companies out there so absolutely not do not touch this thing this thing uh, had its short covering rally had its counter trend rally in 2023 and it would not shock me if this is one of the worst performers of 2024 now we started a new year and a fresh first quarter and We're seeing new trends emerge. And the big question is, are you ready for this year? Are you prepared? Is your portfolio in line with the current trends? Did you suffer more than the market did over the past couple of days? That could be an indicator that your portfolio is misaligned. So if you want to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment, then we could potentially get you on the right path to Having a great 2024 as opposed to a subpar one. And all you have to do is head over to our website, investtalk.com. Click on the portfolio review button on the top right-hand part of the screen and fill that out and we will get back to you. We can set up a telephone call or a, a video conference and get you full reports on what your portfolio is currently looks like how it stands. You know, is it overweight, uh, large cap versus small cap or growth versus value? Uh, what type of risk are you taking compared to the overall market, et cetera? These are the things that we discuss on these free portfolio reviews. So head over to InvestStock.com, and the sooner you do, the sooner we can get your portfolio optimized.
4: Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. Everyone's situation is different. Want to
3: get your opinion on J.P. Morgan?
4: And so are their questions.
3: Get your thoughts on
4: CRM Salesforce. Each podcast is unique, and you set the agenda.
2: I'm wondering if now.
4: 24 seven, rain or shine, Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. 888 ninety nine chart.
3: Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Kevin from La Crescenta, California. I know
0: that you guys
3: don't necessarily follow any particular research or buy any research or make your trades based on any outside research. But I'm wondering if there's any investors, you know, besides Warren Buffett, where uh, you kind of just follow their moves and don't make the trades based on it, but it just kind of piques your interest. If there are any uh, investors, you kind of. Are interested in what they're doing. Just a question I've been wondering. I'll be listening for your answer on the show. Thanks.
2: Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, I think that certainly, for myself, investors like Warren Buffett, Ben Graham, those guys, and what they believe and what they have shown with their with their performance over time, and and how you look at companies and look at markets and, and decide what things are overvalued, undervalued. Those are kind of, you know, they always say that uh, you stand on the shoulders of giants. And those are certainly some giants that, that we stand on, or I at least stand on the shoulders of. Um, I would also say that in terms of research, uh, I, I certainly look at outside research. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm smart enough to, to, to know what I don't know. And so, taking in different viewpoints, especially opposing viewpoints, and and testing my own hypotheses is is an important part of investing to getting to that right answer. What about you, Justin?
1: Yeah, I mean, modern day great investors, uh, I would say top of my list would probably be Stanley Druckenmiller. Uh, he is probably the the best track record over history. Uh, you know, it's uh, certainly I certainly look at those uh, purchases that they make. Um, but one thing you learn, even, even when you study the greats, they all make mistakes, right? They all do things wrong. They all uh, buy companies that um, can crash and burn. They all buy companies that languish and underperform the market as well. Um, but in aggregate, they tend to do uh, fairly well. And so you know, when they start a position, for example, I, 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 sometimes I perk up, I do my own research, and, and it's never a sole reason uh, to look at a particular name, or buy it. Excuse me, buy a particular name, but it could be a reason to take a second look and understand why there are uh, are buying it. Um, you know, there are other investors like like Ray Dalio, for example. Uh, you know, he's a great investor. Uh, you know, historically, um, but I don't love his current view of China, for example. And he, you know, I think he he kind of views that as like a uh, as a positive trend um, in geopolitics. And, and I, I think that's, you know, they're, they're trending negatively. And so, you know, I, I am interested in what he says, but I don't take it for gospel and I have my own viewpoints. And so you have to do the same, just like you listen to us, you know, nobody should listen to the show and hear us talk about a name, a caller calls in and we like the name. Nobody should just based on that, go out and buy that particular stock in their portfolio. That's not how this works. Now is it once again impetus for you to do your own research, understand how that fits in the context of your total portfolio and your risk, and maybe that lines up for you. Sure, but nobody, no one factor, whether that's somebody else buying it or some earnings announcement or whatever, is the sole reason you should own something. So, uh, I we, we as Luke said, we stand on the shoulders of giants, and you know there are. Uh, people we admire from afar and, and, and take, a, take heed when they maybe buy something or are interested in a particular sector. Um, but you always have to do further research. Notice Invest Talk. We have one goal each and every weekday, and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Herrero, and our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at eight 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 ninety nine Chart.
4: Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy and discipline. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART.
0: Hey, Stephen, Justin. First of all, I just want to thank you for the podcast. Two-year listener and uh, try to listen every day. My question for you is about iClean, I-C-L-N. It's a uh, clean energy ETF guys are talking a lot about energy with the recent downturn i think it might be a good entry point there or if there's other ETFs out there i know you can't say specific ones but um if there's a better one out there please let me know i own a little bit in it right now i'm trying to basically double my position thanks for the podcast
2: well first and foremost thank you for being a two-year listener we really appreciate that Now iClean is an iShares ETF that has biofuel companies, ethanol companies, hydroelectric companies, pretty much any companies that are involved within the green revolution here. It's primarily, it's actually split pretty well in terms of size characteristics. It's about 30% large cap, 30% mid cap, 20% small cap. So the problem, I think, and Justin, you'll probably agree with me, and why this fund was down so much over the past year is going to be around how expensive it is to invest in clean energy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a higher cost of capital. It's a higher
2: cost of capital. We're still in a world with non-zero interest rates, uh, a world that will persist. They're not going back down to zero. And so for these companies, it's going to be harder and harder to turn a profit because funding those businesses are going to be more expensive. Now, if that's what you're trying to invest in, this fund looks fine to me its expense ratio is a little high but that's probably because it's a more targeted approach um it's going to be more highly concentrated in a couple sectors it's not just a straight index etf it's an active etf um blackrock is a is a great company for managing etfs iShares products are fantastic if you're looking for it this is this is probably a good one but just for me the theme there uh, is not one that i would be investing in what about you justin
1: yeah, and I think he's confusing when he said, oh, we talk a lot about energy and we like energy. There's a huge difference between traditional energy, talking about oil and gas and coal and uranium, and clean energy. Although you could easily argue nuclear is clean energy. Uh, but that's not what this is. This is more, like you said, solar panels, wind, wind farms, et cetera. And this is in a consistent downtrend. And it's in a, a recent rally uh, counter trend rally from the lows in late October, uh, but overall this is in a strong downtrend. Uh, you, be, you should be selling this, not buying more. Um, and if you want to invest in energy, you know, then you you invest in your traditional energy names, right? Oil and gas, and and that has a much better value proposition in the current environment where the cost of capital, as Luke said, is no longer zero. Uh, and that's one of the big reasons why these companies uh, continue to struggle. So, yeah, definitely not adding to it. I'd be selling it and moving on to a traditional energy name. Now, lastly, Luke, let's talk about convertible debt. And convertible debt is going to be, uh, it was a big trend in 2023. Issuance climbed 77% last year to $48 billion. And this is all to avoid higher costs of borrowing, you know, as you said, the cost of capital is no longer zero. And these, what, what's interesting about the convertible debt markets, typically was for smaller cap names, uh, bio, uh, biotech companies, tech companies, to give investors big upside. Right? You're you're getting some sort of um, interest rate, usually pretty low, one two percent, and then you're basically getting call options on the equity in lieu of that extra yield. And so now it's becoming. More and more advantageous to avoid those high interest rates, up to maybe eight percent in the junk bond market, and issuing convertible notes. Uber, for example, they issued one and a half billion dollars in convertible notes in November, at a one percent annual rate. Uh, and typically, convertibles allow companies to drop their interest expense by two and a half to three um, percent when they do that. So, um, I think it's going to become more and more of a theme going forward as companies face refinancing of all that debt they piled on in 2020 and 2021 and have to refinance over the next uh, two, three years. Um, So uh, something to be look, look out for. And Luke, isn't that going to be kind of stealth dilution of shareholders when they do that?
2: In a way, um, you know the, the shares outstanding doesn't really increase until those bonds are converted. So I guess there is a world where the stock price doesn't hit the threshold and nobody would want to convert. Uh, but I think, I think the general message here is that in a world where interest rates aren't zero anymore, all companies, not just ones that would face you know high interest rates because of credit risk, are going to look to decrease the cost of capital and in this case, uh, the interest rate required. For them to be able
1: to borrow money yeah and uh while that could do could make their balance sheet and cash flow look a bit better uh there is something to consider in the fact that there could be shared dilution in the future if the price of the stock does go up all right that that about does it that completes our second episode of invest talk this year i'm justin klein with luke carrero and we thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
0: Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security? Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights.